I use life-size pictures for the facial analysis. That's what I showed them. And in the life-size picture, actually the midline is clearly defined. And even one millimeter deviation is going to be seen. So, ladies and gentlemen around the world, welcome to this, the fourth episode with the editor of the Aesthetic Plastic Surgery Journal, the one and only Bomb and Gyron. We've had an absolute fantastic first three talks, and this is going to be the last talk on the Rhinoplasty podcast with me, Dr. Cameron McIntosh. And tonight's topic is very interesting. It's all about the deviated nose. So, Prof. Bauman, it is great to have you on the show again. Thank you so much for taking time off the practice. I know you've been very busy. Um, so, yeah, we look forward to hearing how to manage a deviated nose. So you can share your screen for the listeners and viewers who want to watch this through YouTube. You're welcome to watch it on the YouTube channel through my website if you want. Otherwise, listen to the various podcast platforms. Tam, again, it's great to be with you and. uh uh, I'm going to share my screen. So to the listeners who are out there, whilst the prof gets the screen ready, it's very interesting. We've, we've now had three um, talks, and I know only through the channel it's been watched nearly 500 times. So there's really a need for people to be able to learn. And uh, we really hope that, that the, the people are enjoying this around the world. If you have any specific requests or topics, please um, email me or reach out to me via any of the social media pages. And uh, this is obviously a special presentation because we're doing the normal Sunday night podcast, but tonight's is, is our final and fourth special presentation by Dr. Gairon. So here we are ready to listen about the deviated nose. So are you, are you able to see my slide? Perfect. Is it good? Are we good? We're good to go. Okay, great. And these these are my disclosures. Again, I receive royalties for these books. Uh, now, specifically about rhinoplasty book, um, and one of the most frustrating aspects of rhinoplasty is dealing with the deviated noses. And I struggled with this for a while in the beginning, but I made the mission for myself to figure out what to do in order to get optimal results in the majority of these patients. And I must say that today, it is seldom the case that I, I, I cannot correct uh, the deviation 100%. And that is the goal, 100% success. And it's going to come from correction of all of the comp components of the deviation because the deviation can be in different parts of the face and nose. But it is starts with the analysis of the face. In fact, before I focus on the nose, I'm going to be focusing on the face. And you can see on this particular patient with a line uh, over the nose, you can see nothing is in the midline. Uh, the nose, uh, everything is deviated out to what, what we have to do. And we're going to talk about this patient later. This is the same patient, actually. Uh, what you can see is so some of these surgeries are transforming, uh, transforming uh, operations. And you can see the whole face is deviated to one size. And the best view to detect that deviation is the smile view. The nose, the nose that may look actually reasonable, 
uh, they, uh, they seem to be reasonably aligned with the rest of the phase. When you ask them to smart, you're going to detect uh, more deviation. And the goal is this, uh, to get disc nodes that is uh, so deviated to look like that on a small view. And there are some potential traps on the way of detection of the problems and planning the surgery. One of them has to do with the altered features. In one of the previous talks, we have talked about this, but I'm going to talk about it again in case for those of you who have not listened to me uh, on the previous talks, you can see this. When you look at this patient and uh, take the midline of the forehead, uh, meaning uh, the, the point that bisects the distance between the two eyebrows, and drop a vertical line, it matches the un underlying, uh, the midline of the underlying nose. But look at this. If we drop a vertical line from each eyebrow, you can see that this one intersects the, uh, the uh, orbital fissure tremendously, not just by one or two millimeters. How is this happening? Obviously, this patient is plucking her eyebrows and sometimes subconsciously uh, to put the nose in the middle of the uh, eyebrows. It is for that reason that using the midline of the eyebrows as a reference point can be misleading. And I can tell you that this is extremely common. It's not just uh, on one or two cases. And uh, on these patients, what we have to do is use the point that bisects the intercantal distance as the reference point. And when you do that and look at this line and how much of the nose is to the patient's left, <clears throat> and here's another patient, uh, I've marked the midline of eyebrows and, and the nose, and you can see actually one side uh, if we uh, mark the midline of the nose uh, on one side, we have so much distance to the eyebrow. On the other side, so much distance uh, to the eyebrow. So this is another view, a view that actually helps us to avoid some of the, uh, the uh, that particular trap. The deviation in the nose can be in the nasal bones, can be in the mid-vault, which essentially is the septal deviation in the mid-vault area, the caudal deviation of the septiman, the caudal deviation of the tip, and combination. And often it is a combination. And remedying or correcting one area is not going to really serve the patient properly. And a large dorsal hump can actually hide some deviation in the underlying structures. And the minute we remove the hump in the operating room, all of a sudden we, we see that actually the septum is not in the midline. And how can we, it is a, such an example, uh, and how can we detect that this is a follow-up on this particular patient? Uh, and the way to detect it is to look at this view. And you can see a hint here that the septum is dislodged to one side of the uh, nasal spine. The minute we see this, we have to automatically anticipate that the anterior portion of the septum is not going to be in the midline. 
unless it is proven otherwise. And the other potential trap is a subtle deviation. Look at this nose. I mean, when we look at it, it's not very clear that there is a deviation, but there was. And look at it is a slight deviation of the nose to the left. And you only can see that when you analyze the shadows a little bit carefully. The nasal bone is a little bit too wide on this side, while there's a hollowing of the uh, the uh, mid vault on this area and the caudal portion of the dorsum. So we have to detect that and correct it. This is an 11-year follow-up on this particular patient. And he's another patient with a very minimal deviation that unless we really look at these uh, noses with discerning eyes, we're not going to be able to see the deviation. We just have to make sure that we detect them and correct them. And the reality is that some of these patients don't, don't know even they have a deviation, but they, they, uh, and they scrutinize the face and the nose after the surgery, and all of a sudden they're going to claim that I, I never had a deviation, deviated nose. Uh, but it is important to detect these and to bring to the, this to the patient's attention. Now let's dissect each area separately and talk about it. Uh, the first one is the deviated nasal bones. So, Prof, if I can, in if I can area, interrupt you, I just want to ask you a question now before we get into this. So, in your first consult with the patients and you show them the deviation, do you also try and use the software to show them how asymmetric the two sides of the face may be? Commonly, I, I do, but uh, I use life-size pictures for the facial analysis. That's what I showed them. And in the life-size picture, actually, the midline is clearly defined. And even one millimeter deviation is going to be seen. But I also do use uh, morphing uh, and on some patients in their request. I don't do that routinely, but I do take life-size pictures and analyze it scientifically and show it to the patients invariably on every rhinoplasty that I do, do primary or secondary. So the deviated, deviation in the nasal bones can be unilateral or bilateral. If it is unilateral, um, we can either do an osteotomy and reposition the deviation uh, depending on what it is. If it is uh, too much uh, distance from the midline, we can push it in, or most of the time it is sinking of the uh, nasal bone because there, there's been a trauma from that side of the, let's say your right or left side of the nose, a punch that pushed the nasal bone in, uh, but it, it didn't go all the way to the other side. Then we can osteotomize and reposition that bone. Uh, however, if, and I do that only if there's a functional consequence, the easier and more predictable way is to camouflage that area with a, a graft placed on, on top of the existing nasal bone. Again, unless there's a functional consequence of that deviation of the nasal bone. Here's a, such an example of the deviation of the underlying nasal bone. I can see that this patient actually needed a dorsal graft, and a dorsal graft has camouflaged uh, the nasal bones uh, very successfully. Profile, quarter view, basal view. 
But the bilateral nasal bone deviation is going to require an osteotomy. And it's often this, this uh, patient with Binder syndrome. And you can see that this is uh, the nasal bone on the left side is tremendously more deviated on the, than compared to the right side. Both sides are out of position, but the left side is significantly more out of position. Here's the patient with a combination of osteotomy and dorsal graft uh, to get, and I also augmented the premaxillary area. We're using dice cartilage graft, uh, which is ex uh, very successful in, in my hands. Uh, obviously, we were going to be talk. We have talked about this uh, excision of uh, soft triangle lining to adjust the nostril shape. As you can see, it has been done on this particular patient. But the mid-valve deviation is essentially is the consequence of uh, deviated septum. So, knowing how to do a septoplasty is going to be an essential part of success on this group of patients is for this reason that uh, I, I introduced the classification of septal deviations going back to 1999 in the PRS. <clears throat> and uh, the first category is the localized deviation, which essentially uh, it translates to a spur on one side uh, uh, or some bulging of the septum on, on one side. Usually it is in the posterior portion and SMR is the solution on this category, uh, in removing submucous resection of the septum is uh, uh, a solution, and it, it will take care of it. Uh, like on, uh, as exhibited there, all, all we need to do is to remove that area of the septum. But the most, and that's actually, is that's, that, that category is extremely uncommon. The most common type of deviation of the uh, septum, which again will reflect on the outside, as you can see on this particular patient, is a tilt. What it means that the septum is straight on its, uh, its direction, but posteriorly is tilted to one side, anteriorly to the other side. There's no curve in the septum. Uh, which uh, unlike the other categories that we're going to talk about. So on this group of patients, it is absolutely essential that after we uh, remove the posterior portion of the uh, cartilage that I invariably need for uh, the rhinoplasty, I'm going to have to transect and uh, resect actually the overlapping portion of the septum to be able to create a swinging door uh, phenomenon and reposition uh, the cartilage over the septum and uh, suture it in place. And we'll see uh, a, a septoplasty here. And in order to just be able to show you uh, the complete septoplasty, uh, which is, an, again, an integral part of correcting a deviated nose, I'm going to show you an open technique whereby we're going to <clears throat> dissect the mucoprechondrium on one side, as we discussed last time, and uh, then make an L-shaped incision in the cartilage uh, with, the, uh, with the sharp end of the septal elevator and preserve the mucoprechondrium on the other side in the, on the L area 
at leaving at least 15, most of the time, 20 millimeters of uh, this cartilage anteriorly. It is crucial to use some device to measure this because before we cut it, because we are seeing most of the time, uh, particularly if we do it through the nostril, we are seeing this area uh, only in, with one eye. It is not binocular vision. So when we don't look at the area with the binocular vision, uh, we're, we're going to misjudge the length uh, of what we leave behind. That applies to the septum, that applies to harvesting rib cartilage. Invariably, they, if they look longer or larger in situ, but when you remove the cartilage or when you look at the cartilage, and that's, this is a common phenomenon that results in leaving too little here that ultimately sinks in and a hump that wasn't existent uh, at the end of the operation develops six months later, three months later, and is a puzzle. I, I know that I left that dorsum perfectly intact. What happens is this dorsum sinks in if there's not enough continuity or it is not enough uh, width left behind. So then we're going to use the sharp end of the scepter elevator gradually to dis, uh, uh, dislodge the uh, septum off the maxillary crest of the nasal bone, I mean, uh, maxillary bone, and use again the same, same end, sharp end of the cartilage to separate the, uh, the, uh, the quadrangle cartilage from the, uh, the ethmoid plate uh, at the junction of the bone and the cartilage. And, and, and just, it, it really works very well. And I showed that video last time. And you can see we're delivering the cartilage. That's not the end of the septoplasty to diver, de, uh, deliver that cartilage. We need to make sure that we remove the spurs and all the deviated bones posteriorly. And commonly, the most deviated uh, portion of the septum is way posterior. And if we don't insist on uh, removing all of the deviated portion, we could still have re uh, residual functional uh, abnormalities. And what I do is look at from, after I remove all of what I need to remove, look at from the inside of the nose, each nostril separately, make sure that I have removed the septum sufficiently. And after we do that, we're going to remove the overlapping portion of the cartilage, as you see, to create a swinging door uh, phenomenon, and uh, uh, then reposition the septum in the midline. I make sure that the midline, uh, the anterior nasal spine is in the right place before I suture this in place. And in order to do that, I put my index finger on the right uh, left nostril and uh, the thumb on the right nostril, feel it. Make sure that the anterior nasal spine is in the midline. If not, I'm going to reposition uh, the anterior nasal spine. Otherwise, we are suturing the septum to a structure that is not in the midline to start with. And after I do that, I'm going to do a turbinectomy using this XPS uh, number two shaver uh, on, on patients who have a clear deviation of the, a clear, clear enlargement of the turbinate, which is very common, and it usually is the ipsilateral uh, 
uh, to the external deviation of the nose that the terminate that is ipsilateral to the external deviation is that enlarged. And I'm going to trim that and or if we, we don't, I don't have that, which I do, I use it, uh, I'm going to use the turbinate scissors and trim the turbinate conservatively that amount, leaving a normal size turbinate behind. Again, leaving a normal size turbinate behind so we don't have uh, dry nose syndrome. Uh, and then I cauterize uh, the, the area uh, gently with uh, the, the Valley Lab suction uh, uh, cautery. Then put dual stents in position, as you see there, and fix the uh, dual stents in position using uh, a 5-0 proline suture that is a mattress suture, and it is tied on the left side routinely so we, we don't fish around to find it. Uh, stitch. Now, what if during the surgery I create a perforation in the mucopericondrium, which is extremely common in the reflected side of the septum? So, first of all, in order to do that, in order to avoid, prevent this, I'm going to first make the dissection on the mucopericondrium on the concave side, again, on the concave side and make sure that, that that side is intact. If that is the case, and I have a tear on the op opposite side, I'm not worried about it. If I incidentally have tear in the mucosa on two sides, but they are not at the same level, I'm not worried about it. I'm going to be worried, worried about it if I have a perforation like this that there, there is through and through on both sides and they're opposing. So if that is the case, whether it is chronic perforation or I created, my solution is going to be the same. Uh, so what I'm going to do is take, uh, for, uh, make sure that I have enough dissected area of the cartilage. And I'm going to take a piece of cartilage or perpendicular plate of the ethmoid bone that is straight, place in position like what you see here, then we're going to use a through and through suture to keep that card, those cartilages in position and uh, uh, a cartilage in position and also avoid air going back and forth between the two sides. I leave this stent in position for three weeks and when I go to remove uh, the, the stent, most of the time I can't even see where the perforation was. Here is delivery of the stent in position, and uh, this is showing the ta uh, tailoring of two pieces of uh, stent that will be placed in position to uh, essentially to cover the perforated site. It ha this has to extend, my cartilage has to be larger than perforated, perforated uh, area, and my stent has to be larger than perforated area, so it can uh, clearly protect the uh, perforated septum. And you can see, I'm going to make these long enough so I can find them readily. Uh, I'm tailoring the ends so there are no sharp points to irritate the mucosa. And uh, we're going to place in position 
uh, one on either side and use a 5 uh, uh protein suture to uh, take it uh, through and through one from one side to the other side and tie it in place uh, to hold these in, uh, in place uh, for three weeks. And when we do this, uh, again, uh, we have secured uh, the uh, perforation. Uh, this would work as long as uh, uh, the missing area is, is the, the diameter of missing area is not more than one centimeter, which in the acute perforation should not be a problem. But in chronic, uh, uh, mean, meaning we, we seldom have uh, more than one centimeter area of uh, loss in diameter because we, we actually should not be losing any. It's just a tear in the mucosa. In chronic perforation, it can be a problem. And I don't make an attempt to repair the perforation that it is larger than one centimeter. This so, is a so, bit divergence prof, uh, can, of the topic. If but I can ask you a question. It is crucial because it is an integral part, integral part of uh, septal surgery that we not only know, to know, we need to know how to do a septoplasty, we also need to know how to deal with when the mishaps occur. So, Prof, could Can I ask you, you a question? Can you ask a question? Yes. Um, when you, th that was great in how you put that thin silicone on either side. Do you also put a Doyle splint in then, which you will remove after a few days, or you would you just leave that, that um, thin silicone in? No, actually, what, what essentially we are doing is stenting the defect. Yeah. And what happens is, that, you know, when the nose has tiny laceration on the septum side and the uh, turbinate side, uh, you, you, I'm sure you have seen synechia. For whatever reason, the mucosa in the nose heals amazingly fast. So the area will be re-epithelialized, whether I put a piece of uh, cartilage graft or bone graft. I can, I've even used uh, the, the Vicar, uh, PDS plate. Uh, in, in, the whole idea is to stent the uh, area and make sure that uh, you have created a moist environment and closed environment for the mucosa to re-epithelialize, go all across. And uh, I, I just did one of these for a patient with COVID uh, who had caused perforation, and we're publishing this in the uh, APS, uh, Staticlass Surgery Journal, uh, because I think it's very, very interesting. And, but that is uh, related to the COVID. This is a patient I had done on a rhinoplasty on her. A year later, uh, uh, she had a COVID, and I know that she didn't have a perforation because this suddenly occurred two weeks after uh, um, uh, having COVID and developed whistling that she did not have. Within a week, it became larger than a centimeter uh, perforation, and uh, I let her heal, then uh, went back and uh, to use exactly the same technique. And the pictures will be in the article, actually. It will show the perforation and the repair. So it, it really is amazingly uh, successful technique as long as we don't let air go back, back and forth between the two sides. All right? So uh, the, the, uh, we talked about... Uh, 
the uh, displacement and if if uh, if we reduce the displacement of the caudal septum the uh, posterior septum the way I, I showed you we'll get a result like this that the nose will come straight uh, obviously some other things were done on her face she has a post-traumatic deviation of the nose and uh, 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 and you, you you can see the success here this is uh, septum that is dislodged and you don't see the septum uh, after repositioning. So that's the most common type of uh, deviation. The second most common uh, type of deviation of the septum is C anteroposterior. The external reflection of this is going to be bulging on one side and also concomitantly we, these patients have uh, inferior or middle turbinate enlargement. So we need to be paying, atten be, uh, paying attention to that. So what is that we do? We do, uh, we do a usual resection posteriorly, then release the caudal portion. The minute we release the caudal portion, uh, often nasal spine or do a nasal spine osteotomy, this curve can straighten itself out. Doesn't happen all the time. So if that doesn't happen, we have two, one or two options. Either we can score the cartilage, and anytime we do this, is not predictable as to what is, what is that is going to do. It can curve the other way. So in order to guide, guide the control, the memory of the cartilage, we need to put stents on one side, on one side like the perforated septum. I'm going to use a stent for three weeks. And when we remove this by then, uh, the cartilage has already healed and we're not going to see uh, the uh, deviation. Uh, the other, uh, the other uh, uh, the solution is to use suture that uh, we call them septal uh, septal deviation suture, septal deviation sutures, and is a mattress suture that starts from the con convex side, not concave side, convex side, goes back, comes back through the uh, con concave side, and is taken back. It's a mattress suture, and as we tie this, is going to straighten out the septum. So we should be seeing the knot on the conca convex uh, side, not concave side. Sometimes it is not necessary to do to put two sutures. I'm demonstrating this uh, the benefit of this suture on a piece of cartilage that is curved, but I'm going to straighten it for the sake of the uh, is, uh, being used as a colimelostrot. And you will see how this uh, uh, mattress suture, which actually is back and forth suture, is going to continue suture, is going to uh, straighten the cartilage as we tie it. Uh, and it is going to be tight, uh, tight, uh, tight, tight enough to straighten the cartilage like what you see there. It is extremely effective, and we, we published an article about this in the Aesthetic Plastic Surgery Journal several years ago, two years ago or so, and it is called warp, warping control 
or warp pervasion suture, warp pervasion or control suture. But one of the components of this C-shaped devi deviation, as you see in, in the internal view, is enlargement of the turbinate. So it is essential to remove this extra piece of turbinate, leave normal size turbinate behind to be able to move the septum to the midline. Otherwise, it's just going to be pushed away. And that can be done through a conservative turbinectomy, as you see here, or using the device that I showed you, along with out-fracturing the bone. Uh, not all of what we see is mucosa. Sometimes it is the bone that has more of a platform that needs to be uh, shrunken by pushing it outwards. And here's that patient with the inver uh, a C deformity. You can see if we do that properly, uh, we're going to have more pleasing dorsal lines uh, on, both, uh, on both sides and the breathing will get better. We also have C-shaped cephalocaudal. This obviously is clear how we're going to see it. It's just a C-shaped deviation. And on this category also, we may have some uh, enlargement of the turbinates. <clears throat> so what we do for this, um, we're just going to use a technique that I just showed you. Uh, mobilize the, uh, remove the posterior portion, mobilize the caudal portion, uh, and when we do that, almost invariably some of these septum, uh, septal cartilages uh, will become straighter. And sometimes if this is not significant, you can actually straighten it by just placing the spreader grafts on both sides and the suture is going to help. But on post-traumatic noses, the, the cartilage is really thick. Uh, then it, it may be essential to, necessary to, uh, uh, do scoring, but obviously this is opposite in opposite direction compared to the uh, one, one that I just showed you. B, in on this category, we're going to do a vertical scoring. On the previous one, we did horizontal scoring. Uh, and uh, that, that is obviously, uh, again, unpredictable unless we use spreader graphs on, on, on each side and uh, fix them in position. Or we can also do the same thing. We can use a suture technique that again starts from the convex side, goes back and forth, and tied on the convex side to straighten out the suture. And you can see the effect of that on this particular patient and smiling view and profile basal view. And this is actually the same patient I just show you, showed you in the beginning of this category. This is uh, about 18-year follow-up on this particular patient who had C-shaped deviation. You can see I've been able to maintain uh, the nose uh, direction 100%. And uh, the other category that we see is S-shaped anteroposterior. On the, and you can see the pathology on this slide. So we're going to remove the posterior portion and either uh, score on the con concave side, as you see here, horizontally, 
uh, on both sides. Uh, obviously, we're going to stay with the scoring on the concave side, which is opposite of the suture. The suture starts from the convex side. Scoring is going to be done on the concave side. And or we're going to use sets of sutures, two sets of sutures, to strain. That is straight to the, this suture straights to the back portion, the posterior portion. Then we're going to use another suture straighten out the anterior portion. And this is not, obviously this is, these are illustrations, but you can really get this kind of straightening. And here's the patient uh, several years postoperatively. And the other category would be S-shaped cephalocardial. Uh, and on this category, as you can see, we have this kind of deviation, S-shape. So the goal here, it will be very similar, actually. Uh, either we're going to so you do the, everything the same way and score vertically on the concave side, on both sides, or we can use, again, the suture technique, starting from the con con convex side uh, and tightening it on the convex side to get a result like that. And you can see that kind of straightening on this kind of this uh, S-shaped deviation. Now, the, uh, the, the next category would be caudal deviation of the nose. And that is the consequence of one or two things. Either there is a deviation on the anterior septum that would not respond to the posterior work that we did, or is going to be as a result of disparity in the size or length of the lower ladder cartilages. And each one is going to have a different treatment. So for, you may have seen this video in the slide before, but I'm going to emphasize it. So the suture, mattress suture that is called septal rotation suture is going to start from the side to which we want to pull the septum towards. Side to which we want to uh, spend, uh, so we'll, uh, 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 or rotate septum towards. Uh, that side that we're going to start the suture cephalically and the opposite side, the suture will be caudally. And as we tie the suture, as you can see, started cephalically, past caudally, brought back, and is being tied. As we tie the suture, invariably is going to reposition the uh, septum to the midline. You can see an intraoperative uh, video, passed cephalically on this, uh, caudally on the opposite side, and we're going to <clears throat> tight this enough to rotate the septum to the midline. And what I'm going to do is put this arrow in the, in the, in the center, actually the mouse in the center, uh, so you can see how it did control the opposite, pull the, towards the side that we placed the suture cephalically. So this side was cephalic, this side was caudal because we pulled the septum to this side. And you'll see a number of these patients who have sept caudal deviation, uh, a patient with 11-year uh, follow-up. This is what I'm talking about. This bulge here is the septum, and you can see how it has been 
uh, reposition to the midline. 11 years later, this is actually long-term follow-up. I, uh, it is like 25 years later on this particular, you can see the magnitude of aging, yet the nose has stayed in the midline. Here's a, a good deal of deviation to the left and repositioning to the midline perfectly using this uh, suture. It, it has been one of the most important uh, sutures that I have described. And uh, here's another patient with four-year follow-up. Uh, very difficult nose, uh, thicker skin. Uh, here's a patient who should have had this, uh, uh, this suture. You can see the septum is going this way and repositioned. This is, a, again, 11-year follow-up. And the septum is in the midline. And if the disparity is the, uh, is, uh, in the length of the lower ladder cartilage is the cause of deviation of the tip, we're going to have to reposition the septum for sure, make sure if it is not in the midline. And uh, then either shorten one side or elongate the other side, depending on what the projection of the tip and uh, should be. It is the immediate projection of the tip is going to be the guiding factor. So anytime I interrupt the medial cura, lateral cura, I'm going to use a, a combination of calimalastrot and uh, contours lateral cura strut. Uh, and uh, if I'm elongating, as you see here, we're going to use Kalimalastrat, as you see here, and Gunter's lateral crustrat in position. Here's an intraoperative view, and you can see again the disparity in the uh, difference in the length of the lower lateral cartilages. And we're going to transect it caudally, uh, posteriorly, uh, cephalic, uh, would be posterior cephalically, and uh, uh, reposition it to, to match the opposite side. And when we do that, we can actually correct this kind of deviation. Here, here we go. This is a patient who has all of the views, and you will see it in the basal view how uh, the tip was moved to the midline. You can see how this deviated to, and it has the components that we talked about. This side is higher, this side is lower. Actually, I, I lowered the le left side on this particular way. Another patient with uh, uh, in, in the, the best example of this actually is the patients with cleft nose deformity that they, who have invariably uh, difference between, uh, in the length of the uh, lateral cura uh, uh, and uh, entire lower lateral cartilages. So here's a 19-year follow-up on this particular patient, and you're going to see the importance of uh, correcting the length of the lower lateral cartilages on, on, on this view. Uh, you can see this side, the dome is right here, the other one is up here. And, but many patients need combination of technique. You can see on this patient, the tip is asymmetric, the nose is deviated to the left, and here he is uh, after everything has been moved to the midline, and uh, he had also a dorsal graft, uh, a patient with uh, significant twisted nose and transformation uh, with the cartilage graft. Uh, this is a cartilage graft. Actually, I removed this and repositioned to straighten out the, the nose and the camouflage. 
the underlying deviation. A post-traumatic nose was significant deviation of the nose to the opposite side. And on this patient, I also elongated the nose using the technique that we discussed uh, the other day, uh, using extended spiritographs that, again, I have described. And you can see how we have created a more pleasing nose and this three-year follow-up on this particular patient. Uh, and, uh, and final category would be cocaine nose. Uh, on these patients, obviously, nothing is in the right place, and we're going to use everything that we have learned, including this uh, uh, repositioning of the remaining uh, septal bar and uh, removes on this patient, I removed the cephalic margin of the lower lateral cartilages. Uh, use the spreader grafts, transdomal suture, intradomal suture, tip graft, and uh, nasal spine osteotomy repositioning, and uh, extended spreader grafts. And uh, also, I did, I used uh, dice cartilage, dice cartilage uh, to reconstruct the left side, as you see here, and. Uh, did a V2Y advancement, placed a, uh, an ALR rim graft, put the stents on either side like this that you are used very commonly. So we can we were able to bring everything to the midline as you see. And you're going to appreciate the change on this nose, on this view. You can see how everything is twisted. And uh, I actually like to re reconstruct the side better than the other side. Another patient with cocaine nose with a similar, similar outcome. Let me go back. And again, everything is, look, look how twisted this nose is. And uh, postoperatively, uh, we've been able to bring everything to the midline. Again, this view tells us this story. This patient had a very similar surgery, but uh, initially she looked good and uh, uh, but later it started shifting because I found that I lost my cartilage here. So I went back and this shows the importance of the length of the lower lateral cartilages uh, on maintaining the symmetry of the nose. So I went back and used uh, a rim graft and repositioned the tip and this is the final outcome. Uh, again, you can see it's, it's, uh, another face that uh, has been transformed. Uh, with the proper, nothing else was done for her. It's just all, all about the nose. And this view again shows what, what can be done uh, with these noses, how we can get them look more normal. So, Prof, can I ask you a question about the cocaine noses, just quickly? In terms of, we, we know that the septum can get very affected. Do, the, does, do you also find that the lower lateral cartilages are also absorbed or um, destroyed? Yes, I do actually. Some patients, and usually it's on the site that they use the cocaine through, uh, and uh, everything shifts that way uh, sometimes. And part of the reason that actually I lost the cartilage on this particular patient because uh, there was a lot of scar tissue uh, on the vestibular lining, and my V2Y survived, but the cartilage did not. And uh, so I, I had to go back and use another piece of cartilage. So yes, uh, 
the, the low ladder cartilage gets destroyed. In fact, on the uh, first patient, not only the low ladder was uh, destroyed, part of the maxillary bone was destroyed. So in summary, uh, I think it is important to understand that deviation can be in different segments of the nose and it's crucial to detect all of them and correct all of them in order to get uh, optimal outcomes. I hope that this uh, presentation helps you with your deviated noses and I have included every aspect of the deviation, deviated nose. And you saw how some very severe deviated noses that I was able to correct without resorting to extracorporeal uh, surgery. Doesn't mean that it is wrong, and uh, but I, I think it, it adds to the uh, complexity of the operation and unpredictability of the uh, 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 operation, particularly in terms of maintaining the length. It requires more experience. But it is not a wrong operation. It is actually, uh, we have just seen uh, uh, Wolfgang Gubisch uh, show tremendously successful cases and it works and he's not the only one who does that. But uh, we, following principles that I discuss, um, I, I don't find it necessary to do an extra corporal uh, uh, septal de uh, deviated nose correction. Right. I'm ready for any questions that you may have. No, it's fantastic. You've had four home runs in a row. I mean, our first talk was all about analysis. The second one had those four difficult things about noses. Then we did this great, you did the talk on the primary rhinoplasty and now the deviated nose. So this is fantastic. Um, Prof, on behalf of, of Saucer, who I obviously represent, and also the listeners all around the world, we we delighted that the editor of the Blue Journal will spend so much time with us. So thank you very much um, for this. And yeah, we really wish you all the best. We look forward to being able to meet in person when this crazy COVID stuff has come to an end. But it's just great to sit and listen to everything you've, you've done. So I, I will be passing on questions to you if they come through. Um, but for the time being, it's just a great honor to have had you on the show. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you. Thanks. I appreciate it.